0: I don't know about you, but a few weeks ago, I envisioned Palm Sunday and Easter very differently. The news on a global and local level just keeps relentlessly coming. What a challenging time for many. Health has been an issue for some. I know some of you are going through chemo and other sickness. One of my college roommates, a pastor, is just coming out the other end of the virus, and his wife is still in the middle of it. And a close family member of ours lost their job that they had been the top salesman in this company for 30 years. There's just so much to navigate going on right now. Our world and our lives are being reshaped, and it's probably here for a while. So we continue to press into the question, how do we respond? Our series, One Big Story, in which we're going cover to cover in the Bible this year, and many of you are following along in the reading plan to read the whole Bible in a year, has had us in some key stories the last two weeks that couldn't have been more timely, speaking to us about how we respond to uncertainty, how we respond to fear, and how the fundamentals of our faith is what takes us through uncertain times with God. Today, we are going to continue, but we're not going to continue in the same thing of looking at the scriptures coming up. We're going to instead continue the series by looking at fundamental spiritual truth and a habit that's essential right now in the midst of us having so much in our world upset and uh, and the loss of things. There are so many images in life that describe life. Uh, Some people say life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. It's pure chance whether you get the really yummy chocolate or your least favorite chocolate. That's Mm -hmm. kind of a fatalistic way of looking at life. Another image used to describe life is a dog-eat-dog world. It's very competitive and you do whatever it takes to be successful even if it harms someone else the dominant biblical image used to describe our lives comes from agriculture. It's farming, it's nature, it's growth, and it's seasons. Think of all the parables of Jesus, the sower and the seed, the wheat and the tares, the mustard seed, the harvest. Ecclesiastes 3 is a classic verse that says, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. And it goes on and says, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to mourn and a time to dance. I mean, this is a clear metaphor of the ongoing, ever-changing, complex ebb and flow of life that, in context, also gives us the comfort that God carries us through it. It helps us realize we aren't in charge. We can't make spring occur in the dead of winter. Seasons are going to continue to happen. Now, there are things we can do in each season, and and that brings us to where we're focusing today. We want to be like King David's men, of whom it says the men of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, right? What is the season we're in? How should we respond?
1: Lately, I've been thinking about seasons in nature and in my own life. And I love how each and every season in nature brings variety. But when I think about my feelings about personal seasons in life, I don't value the same variety because I love when my life has new growth, abundance, moving forward, new adventures. I mean, those seasons are so much more fun than the falls or the winters of life. And I've been in a season of winter. In February, I was talking with Scott Marrier, an elder at Quest and head of WARM, and we were sharing how we felt about 2019. I said I was still confused about what 2019 was all about because I and others, we had sensed that 2019 was going to be like this year of the breakthrough. And Scott and I talked about how it was a difficult year for both of us. The loss of family members, challenges in jobs, things we thought were on the verge of getting better actually became worse. Scott reframed twenty nineteen as a year of pruning, and he was referencing Jesus' words where he says in John, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. It reminded of me when we lived on the west coast and how the vineyards would look so different depending upon the season. I mean it wasn't nearly as beautiful for me to look at the vineyards when they had been through the winter pruning because they were like nubs, they were so bare. You know, that's what pruning dub does, you know, we become a nub. And for me, two thousand nineteen, many of you know, was the year of breast cancer, three surgeries and some complications that I'm still working through. I mean, this did not feel like a breakthrough year. It was definitely a pruning, physically, emotionally. You know, I was grateful for the arrival of 2020. Finally, let's move on, okay? 2020, this year of perfect vision. I mean, it went well for a little bit, but then this whole virus thing happened. How many of you have seen memes like this? You are know, like, how do I cancel my subscription to 2020? Yet Scott's point about pruning reminds us that we need pruning in order for the best, most abundant fruit to come. Biblically, pruning leads to breakthrough, and without it, the fruit is minimal or even barren. That truth gives me hope because it helps me to accept the various seasons more readily and not try to force a season of winter to be a spring or a summer. Because if we try to make something happen that is not supposed to happen, it's going to be fake. And we can't make a season look like something it's not. So as we read the times, we acknowledge what season we are in so we can be more focused on what God is wanting to do in and through us. We don't spend our time planting seeds in January thinking that we're going to get this great harvest. We have to wait till spring to plant. I mean, basically, January's goal is, I think, probably just to stay warm. Um, God does have a next season for us, and we're going to get through. But we want to be prepared for whatever that may be. So there is a purpose, and there is a good and a beauty to every season, even winter. Like right now, in the midst of things being pruned, brought to the nub, I mean, there are so many awesome things happening. I'm so moved by how people are coming together. I mean, this experience could have divided us, but we are seeing how we are becoming more connected, even on a global level. I love seeing what God is doing in relationships, especially families. Values are being changed, caring more for the elderly, caring less about things. I'm so inspired by all the heroes on the front line who are sacrificing so much for our well-being. My heart is expectant that we are going to come out of this season better. Yet, for now, the future is uncertain and we're in so many major challenges, and for some it's going to be more challenging than it is for others. And as we come to navigate the season, we come face-to-face with a core fundamental, a topic we often don't like to talk about. It doesn't bring those good mood goosebumps, you know, Um, and that topic is how do we grow through grief and loss. You know, I've been so impressed with our leaders and our ODH director, Dr. Acton, and I appreciate what she said about staying home and just binging Netflix through the season. But we want to do a whole lot more than just endure the season. We want to allow God to do what he wants to do in and through us and make us ready for what the next season's going to bring.
0: For too many years as a Christian, I treated grief as an obstacle, something that I needed to do quickly because it prevented me from being productive. I think just get over it, Ross. It'll pass. Don't dwell on the negative. Just mm-hmm. keep moving forward. Yeah. Problem is, that's unbiblical, and it's a denial of our common humanity. I mean, the ancient Hebrews physically expressed their immense by tearing their clothes and utilizing sackcloth and ashes. I mean, Hebrews five says this of Jesus grieving. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus teaches in the second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. During Noah's generation, Genesis 6 indicates God was grieved about the state of humanity. I mean, grief is something God does. After the fall of Jerusalem, Jeremiah wrote an entire biblical book called Lamentations. To reject or minimize God's ways to navigate different seasons, including those with grief and loss, is to only live our lives half full. And Jesus came to lead us into living life to the full, to engage life fully, not escaping from its reality. See, when we don't process the grief of transitions and losses and endings, we miss God's new beginnings. Our goal is not to sit in the misery of grief. This is not about living in despair, but valuing the need to process the seasons so we can move forward with more purpose and blessing. Now, to be clear... Grieving doesn't mean we exclude humor, play and laughter in our lives. I mean, we need humor because Proverbs says a merry heart is good like a medicine. I mean, so keep the means coming, but don't dismiss the need to grieve. With the addition of another 30 days of not being together with others, not being able to go to our jobs, kids not going back to school, layoffs, businesses trying to survive, the changes in family plans, there are so many losses, some big and some small. Kids are missing out on once-in-a-lifetime high school, middle school, and college memories, walkouts, peace weeks, and the like. Trying to work at home and navigate more noise and bored kids—the stress is difficult. The the thought of additional loans or no income to keep our business or our household financially strong is disappointing, if not heavy. Others have had little losses of birthdays, anniversaries, graduation parties, vacations, family get-togethers, or the loss of the fun of the sports, and then championships are gone. I I know. And then there's the loss of church and friendships as we know it without any physical contact I had the privilege to keep working but with adults kids at home I have the privilege of working in my bedroom all too often no noise stay away I've got to get this done I don't know how people are navigating trying to parent and work just more power to you Mm -hmm. big or small these losses need to be grieved I'm not talking about consistent whining and complaining that's different so today let's explore three phases we see in the Bible on how to process grief. The first is endings. Endings could be death, ending of a job, ending of a dream, or a relationship. A, a relationship ending often feels like things are falling apart, coming undone. And yet nothing new takes place without an ending. Second, waiting. No one enjoys waiting, but waiting for God is one of the most important things we do in the Christian life. We saw this in last week's message, and waiting God is changing something in us. And that something God is doing in us is It's less about what we do and more about who we become. And third, letting the old birth a new beginning. In Jesus' resurrection, we see that as a central truth that brings us confidence that endings are always a gateway to a new beginning. Even when we cannot see anything redemptive emerging from our loss, this is our hope. Literally, what we remember in Holy Week, this week addresses all of these endings, the death of Jesus, waiting three days, resurrection, letting the old birth a new beginning. We also see these three phases of grieving in Job's life. First, Job goes through this enormous suffering, pain, and loss. And then he spends 35 chapters paying attention to and feeling the loss and the grief profoundly before God and with his friends. Job goes through deep depression, suicidal thoughts, cursing the day of his birth, shouts at God. His prayers are all over the place. Second, Job waits on God. But in his waiting, he also experiences confusion. But in that, he stays connected to his feelings with God as he struggles with what's gone on. And then third, he sees a resurrection. Job allows God to bring something new to him, new possessions, new family. He lives to 140 years old. He sees his children to the fourth generation. Now, things are not the same. He doesn't get back that which he lost. You can never have a replacement kids. You want the ones you lost. Mm-hmm. The point is, Job opened his heart to allow God to bring something new to him. Job comes out of this season a changed person, and God calls him my servant four times, referring to him in a really close relationship way. We see a vital framework here on how to deal with grief, and it applies to our lives now. So what season, what phase are we in? Probably aspects of ending and waiting stages, right? We haven't seen the curve flatten yet. We're in this moment of the free fall of loss, some big and some small. People's lives are being changed. There is great suffering all around us in the world. How do we respond? Well, we need to be okay with grieving. Every family and culture has their own way of dealing with loss and grief. I would say our culture doesn't like to do grief. We like quick fixes, and there isn't one for loss. Our culture may be good at expressing anger, complaining, or blaming, but not grieving. The the usual unhelpful approaches to grief and loss Our denial, detachment, and despair. Our challenge is how do we want to process loss and grieve biblically with God?
1: Now, I can do denial quite effectively. For example, I I used to be a ropes course instructor because I valued how it helped people process through core issues, but I absolutely hate heights. The element I hated the most was this, what we called the pamper pole, where you climb up a 20-foot telephone pole, stand on top with nothing to grab onto, and then you jump off, trying to catch a trapeze that's about eight feet away. Now, the only way that I could climb that pole was through denial. I just kept my eyes closed, absolutely and ignored reality, got to the top, jumped off without ever opening my eyes, pretending I'm jumping into a really soft bed. I didn't process my emotions. I didn't stay connected to the experience. I didn't learn anything new about myself. I did denial with all three of my children's births. I admire women who try to get more connected to their bodies in the delivery process, and, and they talk about like riding the wave and going with these surges, you know, aka contractions. More power to you. My goal was get me my baby. My method was denial, and um, I just would told I told the nurses I don't want to see anything, just the baby. Um, denial is not a good protocol for living like life. It can lead to bad decisions and missing out on the beauty of reality. Although I, I think for me probably denial was the best approach to get through labor and delivery.
0: <laughs> My tendency when dealing with the grief and loss is to detach and just work the problem, which isn't bad, except when you never face the grief. I can get busy, get straight into thinking about strategy. How do I keep things going? How do we solve whatever problem is at hand? Seize the opportunities that might be present. Keep things moving. And in the process, I'm often not connected to myself. And I often discover anger is actually what's driving me in those moments. When we detach, we are dull to our emotional and spiritual sensitivities. We push loss and grief to the margins, and our hearts get hardened. The third approach to grief is where we are crushed in despair. We drown in the sorrow and are overwhelmed. That's not what the Bible wants us to do either. There is a biblical, holy process to grief and loss that we do in relationship with God's Holy Spirit. We choose to face our reality. Face our world and not turn away from it by hiding in a hole or medicating ourselves with lots and lots of Netflix or whatever it is. We have a living God who comes alongside us to face grief. If we follow God in this, we become softer instead of harder.
1: I love what Thomas Merton, a 20th century monk, says. God is too real to be met anywhere other than reality. Just this last week in our small group, um, someone was sharing their testimony. And their journey reminded me of this quote. Despite her having lived a privileged life, she struggled with some difficult philosophical and emotional struggles around God's fairness, His character, that she just couldn't resolve. Her journey was one of frustration, confusion, depression, and anger. Yet over several years, she kept sensing God draw her closer in conversation, despite what some may say was like an irreverence toward God. Yet for her, God kept affirming to her, just keep talking to me. She's lived out this quote about God being too real to be met anywhere other than reality. Her honesty was about grieving feelings and thoughts about who God was and the discrepancies she saw in this world. And it helped her to meet with the real God and his healing. You know, today she is feeling more alive and excited about life than ever. Her choosing to do the work of grieving, bringing her reality to God, helped bring life to her. So let me quickly outline what you can do in each of the three phases of grief we talked about. If you're in the first phase, endings, pay attention to your feelings and thoughts. When we allow ourselves to feel our grief and loss deeply, it leads to spiritual maturity. It leads to a wholeness and a richness, a depth we didn't know we could have. Like David, a man after God's own heart would write laments. Two-thirds of the psalms are laments, songs of worship that were to be sung in the church that process grief and loss. Within the Psalms, you, can, you see cries for comfort and wrestling with trying to find God's loyal and faithful love. We hear David's grief and his prayers to God. Some were, tears have been my food day and night. Or, why must I go about mourning or pressed by the enemy? Or, Lord, you put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. In this pandemic, we can pray the Psalms because they ask difficult questions Since God is good and loving, why is he not doing something? The Psalms show us we need to express our emotions because unprocessed emotions, they don't die. They just get buried alive. Many Christians believe anger, sadness, and fear are to be avoided. That if we have these emotions, something is wrong with our spiritual life. We've already seen this. That is not biblical. If we avoid our emotions, we end up being half-human, suppressing our God-given humanity as men and women made in the image of God. God created these emotions for us to pay attention to them, and if we don't pay attention, they will find another way to come out, whether it's through panic attacks or insomnia, high blood pressure, anxiety, weight gain, or things like some really negative sarcasm and defensiveness, and a whole ton of other ways. We pay attention to emotions because they help us understand what God may be wanting us to focus on, it becomes more clear what we haven't dealt with. Well, last week, I had a, I took some time to to take some time to journal, and I was irritable and critical and anxious. Um, here's two of my thoughts I shared: like God, I'm sad and I'm concerned for my family member who lost his job. What will the consequences be for him and his family, and how can I help? And what are you going to do for him, God? Another one is I'm constantly working and I want to hang out with my family and I'm not doing anything at my work that I'm really good at now. I'm required to do all this technical computer stuff and I'm really bad at it. So offer your mess to God. And it always surprises me on how simple and quick this can be and how I feel lighter. I mean, I may not get any specific answers, but I do get more peace. I don't know why I don't do it more consistently. We also have to know our own feelings in order to love others well. We can't have authentic relationships without entering into our own feelings of sadness and fear. Because when we enter our own feelings, it makes it safer for other people to enter theirs as well. And when I hear someone say, well, I can connect with someone else's feelings, but I can't connect to my own, inside I say, well, mm, I don't know, the level of connection you are experiencing is more likely on a surface level. Because if you can't enter your own emotional world, you can't really enter anybody else's. Henry Nouwen states it this way. The degree to which we grieve our loss as well is the degree to which we are compassionate people. So if the best way for me to love others better is for me to learn how to connect with my own, own emotions, I'm willing to do that kind of work. In the second
0: phase of waiting, simply wait on God even though it's confusing. Maybe a helpful image may be seeing God like a river and he's inviting you to join him in the river. How... Now, now you can choose to try to swim upstream, going against the current, because you don't like where you're going, you don't know where you're going, you can mm-hmm. fight it. But waiting is an invitation to go with Jesus in this river and float, to surrender your thoughts and feelings, your concerns, and rest in him. This doesn't mean we're passive, but in our hearts and minds, we're remembering he's the one in control. He can take any situation mm-hmm. and redeem it. He will always bring something new out of the old, which is the third phase. God has resurrection power. Mm -hmm. So back to our original question. How are we to respond? Well, in this season, we deal with reality and prepare our hearts for the new God is bringing. We get to build some muscles spiritually. We get to reset some of our values and goals. We get to rethink through the process of grieving and discover what's really important in life. This season is not about just enduring. Mm -hmm. It's about growing and becoming more through it. Therefore, as we walk through the uncertainty, the Bible invites us to process grief and loss. There's always a level of loneliness when we grieve that no one else can take away. But at the same time, God created us for companionship and friends. We want to remember Paul's words, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I mean, Jesus asked for this from his disciples when going to Gethsemane right before the soldiers came to arrest him. He wanted three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, to go with him, to be with him in his loneliness, pain, and in his loss. Think of ways we can provide spaces for each other, to create space for those who need to grieve. Maybe through a phone call or a Zoom meeting or, or, or listen de- and just listen deeply to each other it's not a surprise to God that we're living in this moment. If we think if he thinks you and I were born for this season, let's be ready for what he's doing now and what he's preparing for us to be a part of. Mm-hmm. See, I want my heart to be ready. I don't want to go through this season and end up with a heart that is withdrawn or become dull or leads to me living a life that is more self-protective and more fearful. I want to have a heart like those in the early church who heard of a famine coming and their first response was to take up an offering to be generous. I want to be more fully engaged in what is next. I want a heart that can be more fully connected to others to live generously and compassionately. So as we move into Holy Week, focusing on the sacrifice of Jesus, let's remember all that Jesus did for us to be in relationship with him and receive all that he has for us. Mm -hmm. We've got some action steps. You can go to questionyear.org slash live, and there's some downloadable resources there to kind of walk you through and help you process grief and loss better. We'll also have feeling charts for adults and for kids, for those of us who can sometimes be numb and need a little help identifying indeed what we're actually feeling in the midst of grief. So take time to be self-aware. Grieving biblically is essential to intimacy with God and others. And I want to invite you to join us Friday for the Good Friday service at 7 p.m. and next Sunday at Easter Nine, fifteen, and 11, online.
1: Now, as we close, Ross is going to pray, and then Tiana is going to lead us in a song written by Jen Johnson, which she performed with her husband, Brian. Now, Brian and Jen are worship pastors at Bethel and leading voices in worship music today. I mean, this family looks like they have it all. They're influential in the Christian music industry all over the world. Yet, you never really know someone else's story. Brian has shared how in 2016, in the midst of so much outward success... He experienced severe panic and anxiety attacks for six months, and he described it as like a six-month nervous breakdown. He talks of it in this way. He says, I got to the point when my heartbeat started rising, and I remember saying, I just can't do this. I can't do this. I'm freaking out, and the ambulance came, and they hooked me up to oxygen, and they took me to the hospital. And I remember telling my kids before I went to the hospital, this is when God becomes real. And for Brian, God did become real. He learned a lesson which he describes this way. Consider it a gift even when you're faced with a circumstance where God is the only answer. Because most people never get to experience a level of pain deep enough where God becomes their only hope and answer. There's no drug. There's nothing that can mask that type of a pain. And when you're at your end and God is the only answer, lucky for you because what's going to happen is you're going to enter into a time of deep surrender and healing and your ministry will start out of that and it will be pure brian did the work of grieving turning to god and reality of his breakdown and let god show him who he was
0: would you pray with me lord thank you that you want to be with us in the reality of all that's going on in us Lord. whether that is confusion whether it's boredom whether it's fear whether it's Financial uncertainty, whether it's health uncertainty, Lord, you want to be with us in all of us. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to allow you to be there with us. I pray that you'd help each one of us to turn our hearts towards you regardless and just keep talking with you so that we can encounter you, we can grieve well, we we can face this fear and the loss that's going on around us well, and we can also become stronger and more hopeful to people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's goto West.org. Thanks for listening.